Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, you'll hear James Rankin and John Williams from the Instant Group discuss where the CRE profession is on the path to meaningful change and how much further there is to go on this journey. I'm James Rankin. I head up our research team here at the Instant Group. Um, alongside me, John Williams, um, Chief Marketing Officer. As John said, we're going to discuss um, exactly where we feel um, the real estate industry is compared to a number of different industries from an adoption perspective, both from looking at the customer but also technology. Um, so to give you the pricey, uh, seismic shifts in customer demand, we believe, have caused radical rethinking across numerous industries over the past 20 years, but particularly since the global financial crisis in 2008. Now, the overriding trend uh, in that t- those two decades has been the shift towards service-based models, in many cases enabled by digital innovation. But the repercussions of this have been in terms of the moving of cost models and business structures. So many industries are now unrecognizable from their previous iterations only 10 years ago. We think that this move to a service-based model is directly applicable to the commercial real estate industry. Purely, it's going through its own evolution. We've seen demand for flex space and innovation increase around the world. The office model itself for procurement and the operation of said space is changing within that. And so it's not just we work; it's a general reappropriation of how you go about sourcing, finding, uh, analyzing, operating, and uh, managing flex space or any type of space. Yeah, and as we'll discuss um, in our session, this is a trend that we've seen in a number of different industries um, globally, looking at everything from um, automotive to tech um, to even media. Um, it's a well-known um, kind of adoption, shall we say, towards a service-based model, um, and we're going to be discussing exactly how we feel um, or how far along the journey, I should say, the commercial real estate, uh, real estate sector is in comparison to these markets and the market drivers i mean i think they've been presented on well i've been at corner already for the last two days but the, the key market driver we believe is the need for companies to be more agile in their approach to space purely because their business models are now more agile i think the average business plan by pwc's predictions is around three years uh, long mm-hmm. way down from what you might anticipate probably 10 years ago i think businesses mostly forecasted for five years to 10 years Workspace, therefore, needs to reflect that change down to three years, and its real estate strategies need to adapt accordingly. Yeah, I mean, even if you look at the average lifespan of a company these days, um, I think it's the S&P 500 um, index. They're saying by around uh, 2022, the average lifespan of uh, companies on their index is going to be less than 12 years. In the traditional real estate sector, you'd often have a company taking um, leasing a building for maybe 15 years plus. You know, how is that how is that possible um, in today's society or today's industry where companies won't even exist that long, or certainly they won't exist in the same structural format? And so. So two examples that we would give along those lines are those which you would not necessarily um, compare the real estate industry to. So if you look at Netflix, famously in the year 2000, I believe, Netflix was offered to Blockbuster, mm-hmm. that venerable old uh, video chain, for $50 million at the time. The, the CEO of Netflix had run as far as he thought he could go with the model. He approached the Blockbuster board and said, can you buy my company? I believe we can do great things together. But famously, uh, Blockbuster turned them down. And then I think the final Blockbuster store closed last year Mm. from being the insurmountable industry-leading video chain. That whole model of holding real estate assets of of stores with shop fronts, with staff, 
with thousands of cassettes inside, that whole model just disappeared. And Netflix was the key driver of that move to streaming rental economy model, which totally disaggregated that market. And one thing to always bear in mind with uh, this kind of adoption of, of new uh, new ways of working or new industries, um, Netflix, as an example, there are the penetration or the adoption um, of Netflix as a whole is in, uh, has been incredibly fast in, in most markets. Um, there are in most markets um, sort of around 10 years old, um, and the penetration levels are upwards of 30%. Um, so it's a very quick adoption um, of this kind of new new way of taking and absorbing content um, by the by the by the end. Uh, similarly, we'd also look at the automotive industry, which has got undergone massive change. The global car rental market is expected to double in value between 2015 and 2022, predominantly because consumers have changed their outlook as to the ownership of a car. I think the idea of actually having to own the asset, mm-hmm. to take the depreciation in costs, to uh, put it through to the garage, to look after it, to clean scratches on the paintwork, is an anathema when you can rent a car either for a year or you can rent a car for a day or a week. It becomes a completely different form of, of you know, rejecting the need for a physical asset, which will depreciate, and instead of looking at the services and taking the best of it. Again, something which will totally disaggregate our concept of car ownership and how you go about renting a car in the future. Yeah, and that, that industry is continuing to, to change. Um, today, the stats indicate that more people will lease a car than buy. Um, there's companies that are already taking that to the next uh, step. You look at companies such as Drover, um, where you can effectively uh, lease uh, a full-service um, full service effectively car or model um, for between one and 24 months um, in, including all those costs that, that John just mentioned um, a couple of years ago that just didn't exist you'd still have to take on and, and tax it yourself find your own insurance um, already the industry has evolved where you don't need to do that anymore it's one simple cost um, a monthly fixed cost which in, incorporates all those um, different aspects and the last example we would use to describe um, get the kind of formative rental economy and its disruption of traditional industries is uh, Spotify or, or music streaming. I mean, when you take into account that Daniel Esk, the owner of Spotify, is now worth $3 billion, so four times richer than Paul McCartney, who wrote all the Beatles songs, you realize that Spotify has removed the need for physical, that the need for kind of physical assets, i.e. records, CDs, all of that has gone now. So most bands, like modern bands like an Ed Sheeran, for example, are having to monetize other services around music, i.e. the gigs, the T-shirts, the fan sales. That idea of um, trying to find new revenue streams around the same product is shaking up the, the music industry rapidly even as we speak. And someone like Spotify actively approached the record company saying back in the day, do you want to use our technology? Do you want to try and stream songs? And they were rejected and kind of rebelled against the industry uh, to push their own model and ultimately subverted the whole genre. So bringing this back to real estate, um, what we're looking at here is is really how is our industry um, going to adapt and change to this kind of new way of consuming a service or a product? And so we see some similarities in terms of the dynamics driving the flexible office space are very uh, very similar to those we've seen in other industries. For example, there's the need to minimise capex in the new market to be to remain agile. You want to promote growth and retain this agile approach to business. Uh, and the flex space flex space helps companies achieve that and allows them to focus on their core business functions. Um, also, we're seeing post 2008 that businesses need to react more rapidly to change as it occurs. 
the CEO survey I spoke to earlier about from PwC shows that 51% of CEOs expect to enter into a new alliance in the next 12 months, but 63% are currently planning no more than three years ahead. The window on the business has completely come down now. The real estate portfolio, portfolio needs to respect that. It needs to flex up and down with project teams, mergers and acquisitions, uh, reconsiderations, recalibrations across the business. This is happening on a daily basis around the world, I think in every single market now. And alongside that, you've got changing um, effectively demands by the, the occupier and, and the individual within the companies. But the kind of the rise of the new workforce, the younger generation, they're demanding more as, as, a, as an individual, as an occupier from um, the spaces they, they exist in and they work within. Um, and the companies are really having to evolve and adapt to, to this kind of new, new focus on, on service um, that these new younger um, generations are looking for. Exactly that. So it's not only just trying to attract new generations. I think every single company across every sector is facing this challenge. So the assumption with FlexSpace is that it's technology companies predominantly that would go after this type of space or this approach. From our experience, indisputably, yes, we've seen a lot of the West Coast US companies are very comfortable with an agile approach to real estate strategy. They're used to working in those ways. But more to the point, in London and New York, we see that the greatest number of companies using flex space are actually financial services now, <laughs> followed by tech, media, and telecoms, and then pure technology plays. So in fact, it's more what you might consider the traditional industries of financial services mm-hmm. that are getting more from flex because they're more attuned to having project teams and having to expand in new ways. Very much so. If we look at the, um, the younger, I'll go back to the younger generation in terms of what, what are they looking for, and it's, it's not just the, the younger generation. Our, our research shows that depending on different markets, there's a, there's a very much an increased demand now for what your office or your space provides you as, as an occupier. They're looking for services in particular. Um, they're looking for breakout areas. They're looking for different ways that they can work within their environment, um, interact with colleagues, etc. And what we're seeing specifically today is if uh, an office or a company isn't providing this sort of stuff for their, their, their employees, the employees are more than willing um, than ever before to effectively move on. Um, and that in itself is a huge cost um, to companies, um, it's something that many companies are trying to look at um, and going forward. So if we've looked at the, the, sort of the symptoms and uh, one of the, the, the answers to those symptoms in terms of the increase in flex space, what we feel is important to try and address during our talk is what should every CRE leader know about this change in real estate. And uh, one article that struck me from back in 2009 was Harvard Business Review wrote a very well-regarded piece just along these lines. You know, post-GFC, uh, what did they believe the future of real estate would hold 10 years ago? And it's telling that it was the ability to manage their portfolio more closely, but for the portfolio to align to business new, uh, needs, so the requirements for agility within the portfolio, mm-hmm. how the company could grow and flex up or down. To build in flexibility, therefore, to that, not only flexibility of lease, but flexibility of working conditions and how staff could adapt to that. Accordingly, they recognised um, that those significant changes to the, to the way that CRA would managed in a business would mean that they would need more consultants who are familiar with this type of approach. There would be a raft of new consultancies working across the sector, building out this need for flex space and helping companies understand what that journey would, would be. And then lastly, and probably most tellingly of all, uh, Harvard Business Business Review looked at the need to cultivate greater intelligence and data. So I think data is name-checked in almost every single talk at Cornet this year, but it's the ability to actually extrapolate that data meaningfully 
understand it and then report it to the C-suite to demonstrate value, to demonstrate cost savings and future strategy, that is arguably the new challenge for real estate professionals is the use of data in a positive um, and representative way. Yeah, that's an incredibly important point. I think we, we talk to a lot of companies who are starting to measure things like occupancy, for instance, in their buildings and using data um, or certainly absorbing data into the business. But what a lot of them aren't doing yet, and I think this will be the, the next step for, the, for a lot of um, real estate companies, is actually taking that data and doing something meaningful with it. It's all well and good having the data coming into the building um, or into the company, which is what we're, we're starting to see. But it's, it's taking the next step and being able to actually respond to that um, and, and make business decisions effectively based on that information, um, something that I think today we still see very little of uh, within the commercial real estate industry. And so just to finish off this um, podcast, so what we're seeing in the CRE response is, is several key challenges in terms of their adoption of FlexSpace and how it works for them. So first is the procurement of FlexSpace. Um, this sits in a very different field from conventional space and how it was procured typically in the past, not only in terms of the intermediaries involved, but flex space can be procured digitally. Right? It takes a certain savvy to understand that and also to benchmark in that regard. Mm-hmm. I think the requirements for putting technology into flex space, how you need to ask the operators around security, IT infrastructure and so on. Security in the broader sense in terms of uh, confidentiality, private space, meetings and so on. Um, marketing in the broader sense of, of uh, understanding how to, um, to find the right areas to bring your team in there and to use branding. Mm-hmm. your own branding in, in, a, in a flex space because obviously it's so critical to so many companies and with HR and finance how do you therefore when you're in that space or you have a project team in that space do you manage them properly and make them feel part of the company there are all going to be challenges for workspace companies I think both now and in the future and so we envisage I think demands coming across um, all CRE teams in that regard and then lastly I think for me that will be the moment we see the true convergence between IT technology, HR roles, and CRE to really create that kind of head of workspace type figure who has to combine those skills of understanding enough about technology demands, have enough liaison around data and understanding of HR, but also has those tr- tr- core traditional CRE values, but it will be the summation that will create a kind of a, a new role for workspace professionals, requiring new data, understanding, and um, a new approach. So do email us, uh, john.williams at theincidentgroup.com. Thanks. Thanks very much. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.